Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. That phrase, you thought I was to die for. That's literal with him. Praise God. Worth. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Let me uh, add just a, a short bit to Sister Meg's uh, announcement about potluck, about we have those tables set up for each small group. If you are not yet in a small group, there are tables set up for you as well. So uh, we're not casting you out if you're not already in a small group. That's, that's just uh, want to remind you and let you know. Uh, that uh, you are indeed provi provided for in that as well. I want to talk about something this morning that uh, I have, I believe it was here that I have already mentioned some of these things, but as we are coming to our communion service this morning, I wanted to take a little time and talk about the currency of the blood. The currency of the blood. And let me uh, give uh, kudos here to uh, Sister Joyce. I provided some stuff for slides, and she took them and and just, uh, well, it was graduate work compared to my kindergarten scribbling, scribbling so, uh, and I, I really appreciate it. I want to talk about the currency of the blood, but uh, I want to do as Jesus did when he wanted to talk about spiritual things when he wanted to get across a heavenly idea. He used things that we are familiar with on this world. Talking about glory, he, <clears throat> consider the lilies of the field. The kingdom of heaven is like unto and then would talk about, so I'm going to talk about money this morning. That's, uh, that's what preachers are supposed to be talking about, isn't it? That's what they say that we are always talking about. So I'm going to give them a little fodder this morning for their, uh, talking, for their talking about us talking about money. Now, the offering has already been received, and so we are not uh, launching a new project that's going to take a, a large uh, commitment from anybody. But let's, let's just talk about money. And uh, we've got three things, or I have three things here to talk about that, that uh, are involved with money. One, money is a medium of exchange. So that uh, if you've got something and I want it, or I've got something and you want it, and we want to strike a bargain, there's always barter and and I'll talk about that later, but uh, money is where we can exchange back and forth. This that I have or this that you have is worth a certain amount of money, and we have agreed upon it. It is a unit of account. Uh, money is a socially accepted, remember those words, socially accepted standard unit with which things are priced. It's, it, uh, we know what something's value is by the price that's on it, and that price is ex expressed in whatever the monetary unit is. And then the third use of money is that as a store of value. 
It's like gold and other precious metals. Uh, money has worth. Now, I know a lot of you don't carry cash money anymore, but even if it's digits somewhere, money has worth because for most people, it represents something of value. I became very familiar with the, several of the tellers at the bank back in Bartlesville, and uh, we would have discussions while they were counting the church deposit and so on, and, and uh, we got to the place where we were able to talk about that really money is just paper. It's really just paper. The, the only value that is attached to it is what we put on it. Otherwise, it's just paper, not much different from any other paper. In fact, uh, the, some of the earliest forms of, of money, the store of value, mediums of exchange, and uh, way of accounting uh, were cattle. Now, cattle just doesn't mean cows. It's, it's all forms, sheep, goats, you know, whatever's in the herd. That was your early money, and if you doubt that, would, would you please read the first chapter and the last chapter of the book of Job? Job was one of the richest men in the world at his time, and they described his wealth largely in the size of his flocks and herds. Now, uh, if, if you'll give me just a moment of levity here, I want to uh, repeat something that I heard about Noah, that Noah was one of the greatest economists and businessmen that the world has ever seen. And Noah was such a great businessman, he was such a great money manager because while all the, everybody else was in liquidation, he was floating his stock. <laughs> Some of you weren't ready for that one. <laughs> now, uh, precious metals are, are generally accepted worldwide as uh, a unit of exchange, of accounting, and of value. The first mention of gold is in the book of Genesis in chapter 2. The Bible talks about gold early. Man has hardly gotten here. And we're talking about gold in Genesis 2 and 11. It says the first branch talking about the river that ran through with four branches that ran through the Garden of Eden. The first branch called Pishon flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. And then in Genesis 13 and 2, we read about that Abraham was very rich in livestock. I talked about from Job. Also silver and gold. So gold is precious purely because people want it. Gold, stop thinking about it. It's not necessarily useful. You can't eat it. It won't keep you warm at night. 
It's a better conductor of electricity than is copper, but it's rare, so we can't have enough of it to use to string through all of our houses and, and, and make it. But it is pretty. But really, what is the value of gold except what we attach to it for its rarity? In Genesis 24 and verse 35, we read uh, as uh, the servant was looking for a bride for Isaac, and he said, The Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become a wealthy man. The Lord has given him flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, a fortune in silver and gold, and many male and female servants and camels and donkeys. So you see, he's, he's hitting the various areas where he has diversified his holdings. And he started with cattle and then went to silver and gold and, and other than that. Uh, money is, is very good for for uh, exchanging much better <clears throat> than barter because barter is inconvenient, it's uh, clunky, it's clumsy, it's, it's often complicated. If you've got a cow and you want carrots, you've got to find somebody that wants a cow that has carrots. But if they've got carrots, but they don't want a cow, they want potatoes, then you've got to go looking for somebody with potatoes to trade for the cow, to trade for the carrots. But the guy that's got carrots, uh, got the potatoes, doesn't want your cow, he wants green beans. <clears throat> and I'm wondering, you know, carrots, cows, potatoes, green beans, how about that cow? It seems kind of overpriced for carrots and potatoes and green beans. And by the way, are you going to have, uh, is that cow valuable as milk or as barbecue you know just what are we doing the the, the complexity of it uh, it's much better if uh, five dollars on the on the table and and this is taken care of now there are all kinds of different kinds of money in the world i, I collect uh, various uh, foreign currencies and some of it's beautiful in fact some of the dullest money in the world is the American dollar. Uh, cowrie shells, these, these little bitty uh, shells, kind of uh, egg-shaped, those were used as money in Africa and Asia, in some places may still be, because they're, for one thing, they're small, they're portable, they're durable. Uh, there was one uh, king in Dahomey uh, who centuries ago said, I would rather have cowrie shells than gold. Now, that, that tells you about what we think of things, and, and the value is not in the thing itself, but it is in our estimation of the thing. Uh, and in the, the Yap Islands of Micronesia, the stone money there, uh, it's durable, but it's not portable. <laughs> And it's not small, <laughs> as you can see from the fellow that's shorter, a full-grown man that's that's uh, shorter than than the money is or is tall. And uh, uh, the American colonists use such things as beaver pelts and uh, dried corn 
as their medium of exchange in various transactions. Uh, through, the, through the years and in various places, they've used such things as pig tusks, whale teeth, that, that was a form of money. From the 9th century on to, I believe, the 19th century, so for a thousand years, and there's still some places where this is used, bricks of tea that would be used as medium of exchange. There is one bank that is still in existence in Italy that their safes are full. They're temperature-controlled safes, temperature and humidity-controlled safes, and they are full of Parmesan cheese. That is the currency of that bank and has been for centuries. Uh, Samuel Pepys, the great essayist of uh, during the fire of London, he had a lot of his wealth tied up in cheese, in these 80-pound wheels of cheese, and the fire was raging, so he dug a hole, put his cheese in the ground, and covered it over, and spared it. He came out of the fire with his wealth intact because he buried the cheese in a hole in the ground for the fire. Have you ever heard of somebody that, that is described somebody probably lazy or stupid or, or something that you say, well, he's not worth his salt. You ever heard that statement? Ever heard? Some of you have. Somebody. <clears throat> Why? Where'd that come from? Well, it came from Rome where that many of the legionnaires were paid in salt. In fact, that is where we get the word, it's from the derivation out of Latin, that we get the word salary, because in Latin, salt is sal, of a saline solution. I won't be at least worth my salt, and I got to get that back up here where it's, I can read it. Now, governments have minted coins for convenience, for standardization of weight and, and value and, and uh, size of them sometimes. And then they're made of different metals. They've been gold coins. Uh, my brother has some, some gold coins. He has the Indian head gold coin. And, you know, it's supposed to be worth, what, $5, but... Uh, he won't take a five from me to, to let me, you just can't make a deal with him. And uh, silver, uh, those of you that uh, have any coins, people ask, why is a nickel smooth around the edges and the dime, quarter, half dollar, and dollar have a reeded edge? Well, that's because the nickel is made of a less valuable material, and the the nickel or the dime, quarter, half dollar, dollar used to be made of silver, and so they would read the edge so that somebody would, couldn't come along with a file and get just a little bit off of each coin, and after a while have silver that they could trade and melt down or whatever, so they put the reeded edge on there so that somebody wouldn't know if it had been filed. 
You've heard the story of the little boy that uh, they kept offering him a nickel or a dime. Of course, the dime is small, the nickel is large, and, and uh, he'd always take the big money. He'd take the nickel. And one of his cousins came to him and said, Bobby, don't you understand that the dime is really worth more than the nickel? It's not just a matter of size. It's a matter of value. And Bobby said, oh, yeah, I've known that for quite some time. He said, but if I take the dime, they'll quit offering me. <laughs> and look at all these nickels I'm getting. <laughs> now, if, if you've got your money in gold or in, in silver coins or copper or uh, brass in some places or nickel, whatever, you, you can get to walking like this because it's so heavy. So somebody came up with the idea of a symbolism of money, a symbolism of symbols, because the value is symbolic to each of us. And they made paper money. And uh, as you can see in that top picture, right toward the middle, there's a United States note uh, that's kind of green and white light and it's very dull, and all the rest of them are so colorful, such such beautiful things. And then you come to here. Yeah. Uh, the paper money is lighter and more convenient than metal coins, but it it has no intrinsic value. It, it it's just paper. In fact, there are situations where inflation got away from folks and you actually decrease the, um, the value of the paper by printing it into money. A blank sheet of paper was worth more than the money was. So here we've got, and, and there are some people, uh, drug dealers in particular, they get a little carried away with accumulating paper money. I think this was... El Chapo's stash when they arrested him. And uh, he, he just had, I counted, tried to count it up how many layers and, and how wide and how deep. And it is just mind blowing, even if it's just ones. And I'm sure that there are not many people buying drugs with ones. <clears throat> And then we've got, uh, if I can come here to the United States, we've got two situations here. Uh, these uh, $2 bills and these two half-dollar coins, that they, they look much alike, uh, but they represent two entirely different systems. On, on top, we have a silver certificate. Now, most of you probably have never seen a silver certificate. Silver certificates were taken out of circulation. They were demonetized. Well, not really demonetized. But what a silver certificate was, was the federal government saying, we have somewhere a dollar's worth of silver. And we're going to give you this piece of paper. And at any time, you can come to us and you can exchange this piece of paper for an actual dollars worth of silver and uh, there came a time uh, in my lifetime 
when the silver was actually worth more, a silver dollar was actually worth more than the silver that was in it. In fact, I looked it up this morning, and an ounce of silver, now a silver dollar, the real silver dollar, a Morgan or a Peace dollar, some such, has in it 90% silver. So in a, a one ounce coin, you have nine tenths of an ounce of silver. And I looked it up this morning and the value of silver is just a little bit above $21 an ounce. I'd like to have some valid silver certificates right now and go to the federal government and say, I want a dollar's worth of silver and you've minted this silver in in dollars, halves, quarters, and dimes, I'll take it any way you want, just so it gets up to that dollar's worth. Because it's now $21 worth. So uh, the, va the value of money can change up and down. The half dollar that is shown in the top of that uh, particular picture, that is a 1964 Kennedy half dollar. Before that, there were Franklins, and before that, Standing Liberties, and Seated Liberties, and Liberty Heads, and all, all these different kinds back to colonial days. But they, were, they had silver in them. That's one of those that's 90% silver. And the situation is that uh, that silver half dollar now has, uh, what would that be, $9 and something worth of silver in it for a half dollar. So we've got a, a situation here that the money is worth more than it is as money. And uh, I, I, I've got about three hours worth of stuff on this. So, uh, and then in that lower picture, that is a Federal Reserve note. Now, if you happen to dig into your wallet or your in your purse or wherever you keep your money, everything you've got in there will be a Federal Reserve note. And the coin is a, I forget what year that was, that's a 1973, no, 1972 Kennedy half dollar. That's what they call a clad half dollar. There's no silver in it, absolutely none by the time you get there. In fact, 1964 is the only year that the, is the last year that our coinage had that 90% silver. After that, everything was clad, which means that it's not worth what it says on it. And uh, the difference between what it costs the mint to make a coin and what the bank has to pay for it, that's called seniorage, and that helps with the U.S. federal budget. That's another 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, this, this system of clad coinage and Federal Reserve notes has nothing backing it up but the full faith and credit of the United States government. We've got two different systems here. I've, I've lived and operated under both of them. And for most folks, it's, it's a seamless operation. They, they don't know. But I've got on here to beware or be aware 
of Gresham's Law. Gresham's Law has, has stood for a long time, and it simply says, bad money drives out good. How many of you, if you went home and, and got into your change drawer, change drawer or change jar or whatever, where you threw whatever change that you, you, you don't, you know, what good's change? You just throw it somewhere and keep it and it accumulates. How many of you could go in there and find silver coinage in that today? No, because Gresham's Law says that somebody took the valuable money out of circulation and left the other stuff circulating around. And so now we are operating on, by Gresham's law, the bad money that replaced the good money, and the good money disappeared. Oh, by the way, if you run across a silver certificate, the federal government has reneged on their promise and said, uh, <clears throat> we're not going to allow you to have silver for that dollar anymore. Uh, that's expired. They didn't put the expiration date on the bill, but it expired anyhow. So uh, I have a definition here that fiat money, which is what the almost the entire world is operating on now, fiat money is government-issued currency that is not backed by a physical commodity, but by the stability of the issuing government. You got that? It's their promise that we're going to be in business and we will back up by our faithfulness, by our credit, by our economy, this particular coin or this particular uh, currency. Now, along with that, we've got a plastic economy. Most of you are very, very familiar with plastic economy. Uh, there are several of us, uh, that have, well, anymore, I don't have a, have a whole bunch of them, but I've got a, I am a, a, an active member of the plastic economy. Uh, we get a, a notice every month, uh, you owe us so much and, and we've got to pay it off. There was a man who was uh, uh, working with some aboriginals in, I forget whether it was Australia or someplace else, people who are not geared into modern society. And so he was teaching this man about modern society and how it worked and so on. And, and uh, the, the uh, aboriginal man, uh, of course, knew about barter. He knew about trade. And he understood that, and he, he knew about uh, trading so many coconuts for uh, so many fish or whatever the situation was. And he went with the uh, modern man to a grocery store, and the guy uh, paid for his groceries with a card. Any of you ever done that? Yeah, that's, that's just common. And so he they walked out, and, and the aboriginal man, the, he just... Uh, I, I don't understand this. He said, well, what don't you understand? He said, they gave you those groceries for nothing. He said, oh, no, I paid for them. Didn't you see I gave them the card? He said, yes, but they gave it right back to you. <laughs> he 
You see, value and, and all of that and transfer of value, it's largely a matter anymore especially of what's going on up here. It's not a commodity. It's not really something that has value in itself. And then we have the next slide, a digital economy. Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these things. Now you talk about a, a money of the mind. It's just zeros and ones in a cloud somewhere. And do you see that in the, in the background, the, the red that is, is up and down? That is the value of the Bitcoin as it goes up and down as people perceive its value. It's taken a real hit recently and, and just, you know, just nosedived. I don't even have the numbers on the top of my head for how high it got or how low it is now. But the thing is that we're going this way. The federal government is talking about making their own digital currency. It, it may be that there could come a time, I, I don't think we'll ever get rid of cash. I don't think we'll, how else are you gonna bribe an official? <laughs> without leaving a record? You got to have something that can't be traced. All right, so so we've got all of these different kinds, of, and, and one of the things we've got to look out for is we've got to watch out for inflation. Now, this I could talk about this anytime, and I, I'm not trying to make a political statement here at this moment. Please understand that it's just that this has coincided with some things that are beginning to happen again in our own society. One of the reasons that we went from silver certificates to Federal Reserve notes was because of inflation caused by the Vietnam War. I, I remember in 1964 when uh, the legislation was passed, signed by President Johnson. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, and uh, they took us off of the silver in our money, backing our money. Then under the Nixon administration, we were taken off of the gold standard so that we were not uh, backed by gold, even in our transactions with other countries. Fort Knox, I don't know whether there's anything there now or not, but it, it was safe. They couldn't make a demand upon it because we were off the gold standard. If I understand that part of it right, but uh, and then I lived through the 70s, late 70s, under the Carter administration, when at one time in buying a rent house, I got a loan for 16% interest, and I rejoiced because it was a rent house that meant the interest rates were going to be higher on a rent house rather than on a home that you were going to live in. But 16%, because my credit rating was so good, was a fantastically good 
interest rate. So I understand about inflation. I understand about gas lines. I, I, I've lived through all of that. I haven't been to, through the worst of inflation. I've got a, a couple of uh, uh, German marks from the Weimar Republic back between World War I and World War II. Uh, let me just give you some, some things that I believe they're on that, uh, but it, uh, a loaf of bread in Berlin that cost around 160 marks at the end of 1922 cost 200 billion marks by late 1923 goes in, in, in a year from 160 marks to 200 billion marks. In November of 1923, one U.S. dollar was worth four trillion two hundred and ten billion. 500 million marks. I remember going to Ecuador and I took about, what, $300 or so with me, cash, uh, uh, American cash. And of course, when I got there, I changed it into sucres, which was the currency of, uh, of Ecuador at that time. It's been discontinued since. Uh, but that's the closest I've ever come to being a millionaire. If I'd had another hundred dollars with me to change, I'd have been a millionaire. <laughs> uh, but I think the all-time record for inflation is from Zimbabwe, and that's been in the last few years. In uh, mid-November of 2008, and nearly everybody here remembers 2008. In 2008, mid-November, the Zimbabwean dollar was under uh, was inflating at the rate of 98% per day. They're talking about us. We have a monthly inflation rate right now of what, 6%, 8%. This was 98% every day. Let me let me tell you that the currency lost half of its value every 24 hours and 42 minutes. If you wanted to buy something today for 100 Zimbabwean dollars at noon, 100 Zimbabwean dollars, and you decided, oh, I'll wait till tomorrow. When you come back tomorrow at 1 o'clock, it's not 100 Zimbabwean dollars, it's 200 Zimbabwean dollars because it's been 25 hours and the money's worth only half what it was. That means there's nothing back, it's, just, it's not a commodity based. I mean, even an old cow or an old sheep doesn't lose value that quick. Even if it dies, it hadn't lost that much value.
There's still the pelt and the, <laughs> and the meat. So really, our money, our currency, our economic system is a house of cards. Even if you've got gold, there could come a time when it's not worth anything because nobody wants it. They've got other problems. So what does have value? What is a store of value? What is a medium of exchange? What is a way of accounting where you can tell real riches? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere silver or gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You want something that's going to keep its value? You want something that has value? Don't mess around with gold. Don't worry about silver. Get something that's really got some value in itself. The blood. There's a currency of the blood. Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 11. So Christ now has become the high priest over all the good things that, that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and not part of this created world with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever he made a purchase he paid a price there was currency that was exchanged and it was a currency that was valuable you say, well, I, I, I've got a, I got a $10 bill here. I've got a $5 bill here. It's, uh, there's some value to that. The only value is because we say it's valuable. But there's a value in the blood because he says there is. All your money is worthless if nobody will take it. If I came to you with a hundred sucre note from, El from Ecuador and I tried to buy something from you with it, you would be silly to take that hundred sucre note because the government of Ecuador doesn't even recognize it anymore. They don't say it's valuable. 
The ones who gave it value have taken away the value. But the blood of Jesus is valuable because he says it's valuable. He counts it as valuable. And he is not one to change. He's not as unstable as the governments of this world. It's not changing every few years with an election or an assassination or a coup. He is king forever and forever, and his word stands sure. There was a time when he would accept the blood of bulls and goats, but there's a value that goes beyond the blood of bulls and goats. It's the value of the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless lamb. Hallelujah. He entered into the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies for ceremonial purposes. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The value of the blood does not change. It's been 2,000 years, but it's just as precious, just as valuable, just as current as it was on the day that he rose from the tomb. Hallelujah. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And folks, we need forgiveness. We need to repent of our sins and be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there was a time when he would accept the blood of animals. Under the law, nearly everything was purified by blood. That's why the tabernacle and everything in it, which are copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. His blood. His blood. Colossians 1 and 19 and 20. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. There's a value in the blood, the currency of the blood. We are washed in the blood. The first song we sang this morning, there's power in the blood. You cannot guarantee me 
that a United States government $100 bill will have any power five years from now. And I don't know what you'd guarantee it with if you tried to. But I can tell you this. The blood will never lose its power. The blood will never lose its power. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? There's power in the blood. There's a currency in the blood. Doesn't matter who you are. If you've got a, a, a valid currency, you can go to into the store. They don't care who you are. They don't care where you came from. They don't care who your daddy was. You plop down a $100 bill for $100 worth of goods, they're going to take it. They're not going to ask you to solve the quadratic equation before they'll take your money. No. The, the power's in the unit of exchange. The power's in the value that they perceive in it. And at the teller's window of heaven, they'll always accept the blood. In buying a house at one time, I had to provide to the, to the bank a letter from another bank, or I had to, maybe it was to the realtor or somebody, but I had to supply a letter from the bank that declared, this man has enough money on deposit with us that he can do this deal. Once I got that, things went smooth. Every month, I go to the, the, to the mailbox and I pull out a bank statement. I'm, I hope this is not mysterious to all of you. And I open it up, I get my check register, Sister Moss gets on our online deal, and, and then we go over the three of them and see if they're anywhere close to each other. That bank statement is not my money, but it's a record of my money. And when I come down to that final line, Balance at the end of the month. I can't take that in to Wawa and say, look here, will you accept this bank statement for a bag of chips? That's just a symbol of something else that's a symbol. It's just a report 
of a social construct that we've all agreed to. But we're about to do something this morning, and those of you that are involved in setting up the, if you've got anything else to do with the communion, you can come ahead and start on it. What we're about to partake of this morning, it's not Calvary. It's not the blood. It's for remembrance of it. It's the record. My bank statement is a symbol of a symbol. What we're about to do here this morning is a symbol of the real thing. Jesus came, lived among us, crucified, died, buried, rose again, that we could be part of his kingdom. It was on the basis of that that Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that we should repent. Got to repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of our sins and be filled with his spirit. But he also had left us a symbolism. On the night when he was arrested, he gave them the bread. I'll go over this again. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take, eat. Remember me. Then he took the cup, he blessed it. Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There are times when folks don't understand what they've got. And they don't value it. You're always hearing of somebody that bought a $5 picture at a garage sale and it turned out to be worth millions. A lot of times we don't understand what we're doing. But Jesus said, when you do this, I want you to remember. Remember that here is a medium of exchange. That I have exchanged my blood for your sins. That it is a way of accounting that now because of my sacrifice, you are worthy, not in yourself, but because you have this. A lot of times, folks get their real worth and their net worth mixed up. Jesus' blood gives us real worth. 
and it's a store of value that will not diminish. Thieves can't break through and steal. Moths can't eat it up. Rust can't canker it. It's the blood. This is, this is symbolic. Keeps us reminded that we've got a hold of something valuable. It's really valuable. I'm not doing an altar call this morning. I want us to, if you will, stand and come and, and get the elements of the communion. <clears throat> Take them back to your seat and just, if you will, come, come ahead. Like with, with offering. I am sure that on the night that Jesus met with his disciples that there were delays as the bread was passed around the table. and They looked at each other and wondered what was going on. Thank you. There are places where that there are strict limits set on who may partake. Guidelines, standards set up. I've known of folks who would not 
use or take communion because of uh, they weren't perfect. Boy, I'd eliminate all of us, wouldn't it? But if you'll remember that that meal that evening started with the disciples arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And there wasn't one of them worthy of being in the kingdom, much less the greatest in it. But they all took communion. Remember also that among that group was the betrayer. Judas was welcome. I don't think we've got anybody here that needs to be eliminated from doing what we're about to do. He took on the night that he was arrested and all of that was set in motion. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. Dear Jesus, as we stand here this day, following in your footsteps, obeying your command to do this, and in doing so to remember, Lord, let this symbol remind us of your sacrifice of the beatings, of the, the nails, of, of the spittle in your face, of, of all of the mocking and everything that you went through for us. Help us remember that you thought we were worth saving, that we were worth keeping, that we were to die for. Lord, bless it. Bless it to that inner part of us, oh God, where we make our connection with you as we take and we eat. And afterward, he took the cup, the fruit of the vine, said, this is my blood that's shed for you. There's a trail of blood. Scriptural trail of blood goes from Genesis at the sacrifice of Abel, all the way through the tabernacle on up into the temple. 
but there's another trail of blood. We can pick it up, if not before, we can pick it up in Pilate's judgment hall where he was beaten, stripes upon his back for our healing. I'm not sure how far that word healing goes. I know it's physical. I'm pretty sure it's also mental and emotional and maybe in areas that we don't even understand. There's a trail of blood from Pilate's Judgment Hall all the way along from there to Golgotha's Hill. And there's some place on Golgotha, the place of the skull. Oh yeah, there's a place where they nailed his hands and his feet, but somewhere close by there is a place where the last of his blood drained out, both from the wounds that he had already received and from that spear in his side. The precious blood, the valuable blood, the store of value, the medium of exchange for our sins, he gave his life. The life is in the blood. And he said to them, take, drink, and remember me. This is a reminder. The blood will never lose its power. Remember, remember, he thought you were valuable. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never its power it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley the blood that gives me strength day to day it will never, never lose it. 
never lose it. It's through my doubts and calls my Remember, when things are good, remember. When things are bad, remember. Every time you make a transaction with cash, with check, with credit card, with Bitcoin, whatever, remember. Remember. There's somewhere that there's real value, and it's in the blood. We're going to be dismissed. Everyone's welcome to join us in the fellowship hall for our potluck. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for an opportunity once again to be reminded of your sacrifice for us. Help us remember, Lord, in all ways, everywhere, all the time, that you love us that you thought we were to die for. Lord, we thank you for the day, this opportunity to gather together in a potluck and in fellowship and being with one another. Lord, we pray that you would bless the meal that's been prepared. Bless those that had anything to do with all of this. Let your spirit move in their hearts. Reward them, oh God. You've said you'll reward our efforts. We thank you for it, Lord. Pray that you'd bless it to our bodies and our bodies to your service. 
Lord, I'll always close with the request that you'd bless our missionaries, provide for them, keep them, direct them. Let your blessings rest upon them, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You are dismissed. Let's go have some food. And while we're eating, let's remember you're worth something. <laughs>